you'll please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, I believe it can be found on page 977 and maybe 978 in the Bibles and the chairs in front of you. Ephesians 4, I'm going to read verses 17 through the end of the chapter in Ephesians 4, but our passage of study is going to be verses 25 through 32. I'm going to start in verse 17 to get the context here. This is God's holy, inerrant, and authoritative word to us this morning. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good, for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were Sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is God's word to us this morning. Let's pray that He would add His blessings to it. Father, we freely confess to you that we lack the strength to to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, to to put off these things that you've called us to put off, and to put on these things that you've called us to put on. And so strengthen us, help us, we pray, to understand, to, to learn, and to apply your truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We looked at earlier in the service from the Westminster Confession of Faith, of what is sanctification. Very simply, sanctification is living the Christian life. It's trying not to sin and and trying to be holy and live pleasing lives for God. And when we look at it like that, when we talk about it like that, I'm I'm here to tell you this morning, it's been my experience, I bet it's been yours, sanctification is hard. It's hard. 
trying to live a life free of sin and to be righteous, it's, it's hard. It's not natural. Do you, do you ever feel this way? Do you ever feel that it would be easier just stop trying to be a good Christian and working so hard at sanctification? Do you ever feel that way? You know, one of the greatest tragedies of American evangelicalism is this popular idea that to be a Christian means that you're good all the time, means that you're happy all the time, and that life is just swell all the time. (laughs) But we know, in fact, that that is not our experience. And we're reminded of what Paul said here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. He says, that is not the way you learned Christ. The way you learned Christ is that you do the hard work of sanctification. Living holy lives is hard. We we learn that there's a corrupt old man, an old nature within us, a former manner of life that is hell-bent on drawing us away from Christ. And so in the Christian life, we, we, we see that we must put on the new man, that we must Put on Christ's likeness in everything that we do. And so in our passage of study, verse 25, the Apostle Paul says, in light of all that, therefore. He's linking us back to the previous paragraph, to his his previous argument. And he's telling the Ephesian Christians that because of this new life that we have in Christ, the Christian life involves... Walking in a manner worthy of our calling. The Christian life is to walk with Christ. In Christ, we are new creations. We are created to be holy and righteous, and therefore we're to put off the old self. We're we're to put off the life that we are in Adam. Fallen and sinful and corrupt. But we're to put on the new self. We're to put on... New clothes, this righteousness that is given to us in Jesus Christ. And so in verses 25 through 32, the Apostle Paul is going to show us exactly what that looks like. Here's some practical ways that you can do that in your everyday experiences. And this applies for all of us, all those who claim to be in Christ, children, youth, adults, every one of us, this new way of living. It's called sanctification. Or of the words of the Apostle Paul, we are to put off sin and to put on righteousness. Putting off and putting on. That's the paradigm we're working with here. That's the the Christian living that we're talking about here. This is this very intentional daily way that we walk with Christ. Putting off and putting on. Sanctification is hard, but sanctification is not an option for the believer. It's not. It's the way that we learned Christ. Because if we don't put off sin in the Christian life, sin will kill you. It will. It'll bring a spiritual death unimaginable. And so we see that we need to be pursuing righteousness in the Christian life by daily renewing our minds. We talked about that last week. How we daily go to the the words of life and be strengthened in our walk with Christ. 
And so here in these verses, the Apostle Paul is going to give us five specific examples of, of living in this new way. In verses 22 through 24, we were taught in general that we're to practice sanctification. And so now he's going to show us, here's how you, here's how you literally and actually apply it in your daily lives. And we'll see from these five examples, and by the way, this putting off and putting on, it, it actually carries on really for the rest of the book of Ephesians. So here we're just going to talk about five examples, but there's many more in the coming verses. We'll see from these five examples that our faith in Christ is to affect every area of our lives. It's putting off and putting on, growing in holiness, putting off sin. It affects our friendships. It affects our careers. It affects our schooling. It affects our marriages. It affects everything. And so here's the truth. Here is the, here's the gospel truth. If you claim to be a Christian, then you must practice your Christianity. You must walk with Christ. Your, your, your faith in Christ should matter. It should matter in your public lives, the way you live out in public, and also in your private lives, how you personally live. So a Christian is one who puts off sin and puts on righteousness in very concrete ways. So here they are. Here's the nitty-gritty of the Christian life. This is how we grow in godliness. So the first there is in verse 25. We are to... Put off falsehood, put it away. Put on truthfulness. If we're to grow as Christians, then one of the ways that we want to grow is we want to cultivate the truth in our lives. We want to cultivate truthfulness and righteousness, casting off, putting away falsehoods, putting away lying, putting away deceit. This includes Several things. Falsehood certainly means lying. We're to tell the truth always. We're not to live untruthfully. But the Greek word for falsehood means much more. It also means false religion. And so when Paul says put away falsehood, he's reminding them again, do not live like a godless Gentile. Put away everything that doesn't have to do with Christ. Put away everything that doesn't benefit Christian living. But putting off falsehood most certainly means we are to put off not telling the truth or, or lying. Lying. That's something that we all struggle with. All of us. How? How do we do this? We struggle with this maybe in the way we slander someone. Maybe the way we tell a few little white lies. Just a few little untruths that shouldn't hurt anybody. Maybe misleading someone to our advantage. Maybe cheating on a test. Maybe cheating on your taxes. We all are prone to the struggle of lying, of untruthfulness. And oftentimes I think that those of us who are good-intentioned, we often fall into this trap of lying and of falsehood and deceit 
not because necessarily we're trying to be malicious or deceitful or hurt someone, but we're just not used to cultivating the truth in our lives. We're so used to the little thing, lies, that cultivating the truth is not natural to us. So why should we bother with the truth? Why does speaking the truth to others matter so much? It's because of this. We are members of one another, Paul says. In the body of Christ, we belong to one another. In the body of Christ, this is to be the the safe place for brothers and sisters to be, where the the truth runs freely, and, and, and lying does not belong here. Because when we lie, when we let falsehood creep into our lives and into our church, we hurt the body. And, and, and this is another truth that we must all remember. Remember how Apostle, the Apostle Paul keeps going back to this idea that we're the body. We're the body of Christ. And because we're the body, we're connected to one another. We belong to one another. When, when, when you hurt, we hurt. When you do something to hurt someone else, it hurts all of us. We're connected. The Christianity Gospel living is not disconnected. We, we belong to one another. We do not live disconnected, separate lives. Falsehood tears apart relationships, and it can hurt the body of Christ. But ultimately, falsehood, it's, it's part of the old man. Falsehood, lying, untruthfulness, it's part of the old self. We're to put it off. We're to put it away. Falsehood is sinful and ungodly, and we must put on the new man by being truthful in what we say and what we do. Is there a more bitter reminder of our old lives apart from Christ than lying and falsehood? I know that's the case with me. May God help us to to love the truth and to seek the truth and to tell the truth and to put on the truth. We put off falsehood. We put on the truth. Secondly, he says here, we're to put off sinful anger. And what's implied in verses 26 through 27 is we're to put on self-control. We are instructed here that, that anger is debilitating. It is like rot. And if we don't deal with it and deal with it promptly, it will destroy us. And so the apostle pleads with us to be reconciled as quick as possible when we are at odds with someone. So how do we deal with our anger? Well, Paul doesn't really just give us this exact cure here. He simply says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. What he says here, he doesn't say anger is sinful. Sinful anger is sinful. (laughs) You see it? (laughs) Jesus showed righteous indignation. I've never showed righteous indignation, especially when I was watching the TV yesterday. (laughs) But what does he mean here? It means to not let anger 
get any worse in our lives by letting it swell and, and fester for long periods of time. Because when we let this happen, he says, not only are you destroying relationships, not only are you hurting yourself and your own walk with Christ, you're giving the devil the perfect opportunity that he needs. And you've heard that whisper, haven't you? That person hates you. That person's trying to hurt you. That person is not in it for your good. You, you should be mad at them. You should let your anger fester and, 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 and brood. And when we do this, the devil has that hold. And that relationship can be destroyed. Anger, as we all know, leads to hatred and many other sins. It does no good in the Christian life to let anger go unsolved. Not letting the sun go down in your anger, the apostle says here, it's a warning against this festering, this brooding anger. And so we must not nurse our anger. We must not let it grow. We, we, we must starve it. And the way we starve anger is we deal with it. Maybe you go to another, another person and you say, look, I'm, I'm angry with you. <laughs> and let me tell you why. And can we please work this out? This is one of the key areas that when I do premarital and marriage counseling, do not let your head hit that pillow at night until you've reconciled with your spouse. And that's hard. That is so hard because we, we want to be angry with each other. We want to hurt one another when we've been hurt. Like I said before, I'm not sure there's such a thing as righteous anger for us because there's too much remaining sin in us. So if we're going to be angry, let's be angry at our sin. Let's be angry at the old man dwelling in us. Let us put it off. Because it is implied here that rather than being sinfully angered, we're to put on the fruit of self-control. That is a, a, a word, a practice that is lost in, in our day and age. We, we are called to practice self-control. That is the way we live the Christian life. And one of the key reasons we do this is so that we not give the devil quarter to come in and destroy our relationships. We... Put on self-control. Let me go on. The third thing here he says is to put off stealing. And to put on a biblical work ethic. Verse 28. Here we have an application of the eighth commandment. Thou shalt not steal. A follower of Christ must not steal or seek to justify stealing. Rather, followers of Christ are to be hard workers. We work for the Lord, and we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not steal. I can remember one of the first times when I was younger what stealing looked like. I can't remember if it was me or my brother. I'm sure I'm going to blame my brother on this, my younger brother. But we walked out of a store and got in the car, and my mom said, where'd you get that gum? I got it from the store. Where did you get the money? I didn't have any. It was just right there at the checkout. 
And of course, you know, the other older brothers, you know, we, we harassed him. You're going to jail. They're going to throw you under the jail. And I just remember thinking stealing is bad and stealing is wrong. And stealing is bad and stealing is wrong. But there's so much more, right, in ways that we steal. Sure, we shouldn't steal goods. We shouldn't take things that don't belong to us. But what about stealing from our employer? What about borrowing and not repaying? What about not working the hours that we reported? What about cheating? Cheating in all forms. Is that ways of stealing? We could, we could go on and on and on. We, we are all susceptible to this. We are not to steal, though, in light of the fact that we are new creations. We're to put off stealing. We, we shouldn't steal by worshiping ourselves rather than giving worship and glory to God who deserves all things. But rather than stealing, he says, we are to put on honest work. We're to put on a biblical work ethic. If you claim to be a Christian, and you go to your employer, and your employer knows that you are a believer in Christ and that your Christianity is important to you, that should mean several things. It should mean you're honest, that you're loyal, that you despise stealing, and that you're a hard worker, that that's important to you. This is what we are to put on. And our motivation for doing this, our motivation for not putting off stealing and putting on hard work, it it shouldn't be for personal gain just so that we can get more stuff. Our job, we do not exist to have a job and to get more stuff. He says it is our duty, our Christian duty, that we, he may have something to share with anyone in need. We have been given grace by the Lord Jesus Christ to to work and to work for his glory so that we may help others in need. What is the apostle implying here? Generosity matters. Generosity matters, especially for the church and for the people of the church. We are called to be generous The Christian life is realizing that the resources we've been given, the gifts that we have been given, are for a purpose. Our new lives that we have been given, the resources, all these things that we have been given is so that we may increase God's kingdom influence in our lives and in the church. And certainly this involves caring for others and helping to meet needs. That is what we're called to do, to put off stealing, to put on this generosity, this hard work that we may help and serve others. The greedy person works just to amass more wealth and stuff for themselves, but the Christian motive for work is to glorify God and help provide for others. Fourth, verses 29 through 30, we're to put off corrupt talk. But we put on grace speech. So much of my old life, I know, as I look back, is corrupt 
talk, the way I've treated others, the way I've talked to others, it's full of corrupt, full of bad things. So, so many churches that we know have been destroyed and hurt over gossip and slander. But one of the most distinguishing characteristics of a changed life is someone who speaks well of others. Someone who, whose speech is to build up others. I call this grace speech, the Apostle Paul says here. We're to give grace to others. We're to have gracious speech with the way that we talk to others. I had the, the blessing and honor this past year to officiate the funeral of our dear sister in Christ who's gone to be with the Lord, Ann Callan. And I heard her, not sorry, Ann Lamons. And I heard her daughter say something that has stuck with me for quite some time. Her own daughter said that she had never heard her mother repeat gossip or talk badly about anyone. Whew, that's not going to be said about me. <laughs> you know, what a life. What an example. That we speak in such a way to build up others rather than tear them down. We should use extreme caution with our words. They should be well-chosen words so that we bear up, bear, build up one another and not tear them down. Just this past week, I had two friends, two, two pastor friends, confide with me and others of how discouraged and brokenhearted they were because their kids were being bullied at school. That they were experiencing just this awful grief because the kids were being picked on over social media and bullying. And one child crying in the bathroom and would not come out. It's just sickening. And what makes it even worse is that the, this, this bullying, this tearing down was done by their friends. When we use our words to tell down others, Paul says we are grieving the Holy Spirit. We are grieving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is grieved when we use our words to destroy and to divide the body of Christ rather than build it up. And this is why those of you who are members here, and those of you who have been members of a PCA church, we, we make this vow. We, we vow to uphold the peace and purity of the church. And most certainly that involves the way we talk to others, the way we treat others. And so we need to be warned, we need to be reminded of just how damaging our speech can be. And we need to ask the Lord to give us guidance, to give us grace, to give us wisdom to speak to others so that we, so that we build them up. We, we put on grace speech. We, we build up one another. We encourage one another. We're gracious to one another. A Christian is gracious and loving because they speak well to one another. Let us 
put that on. Last, in verses 31 through 30, the fifth example here, we are to put off ungodly treatment of others and to put on the fruits of the Spirit. Look at these things that the apostle lists here. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, malice, slander be, be put away. In case he missed anything, <laughs> he, he captures them all into one statement here. He covers it all. There, there are these destructive patterns that lead to the destruction and tearing down of the body rather than building it up. This bitterness, this harshness. Someone who has this hard, unpleasant edge about them. Put it away. This wrath, anger, clamor, malice. This, the, the hateful person. We're, we're to put that away. These are not to be a part of the new life. These are a part of the old life. Rather, he says, we are to put on the fruits of the Spirit. And so some of them are listed here. Kindness. Tenderness. Forgiveness. Next week we'll look at how these are the things that are the fragrant aroma of Christ. These are the things that people see in us and they are drawn to us because they see God's grace in our lives. What is more attractive to a watching world and a sinful world than believers who show the love of Christ by their kindness, their tenderness, and their gentleness? So how can, you, how can you put on these things? How can you put on kindness and tenderness and gentleness and forgiveness towards one another? Maybe it's that coworker at work that you really just don't like, but you're called to love them. Maybe it's that difficult relative. Children, maybe it's a brother or sister that you have not learned to be kind and gentle and loving and forgiving toward. We are called to put these things on. But ultimately, what is our reason for doing all these things? What is our reason for putting off and putting on? There, there is a reason. It, it, it is this. It's because of the gospel. Look at what Paul says in verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. God in Christ has forgiven us of all things. Therefore, we must pursue these things and we must put on righteousness. This is how we worship. This is how we glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we must also remember that we cannot do these things. We cannot put off and put on daily. We cannot do it without the gospel. The late Jerry Bridges said this once. The same grace that justifies us, the same grace that makes us righteous before a holy God, It's the same grace that sanctifies us. We need the gospel to help us live a holy life. I think the best way this is illustrated was from a story or a scene in the C.S.S. Lewis's book in the Chronicles of Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And I could keep us here all afternoon to read from it, but I'm going to summarize the story about a little boy named Eustace Scrub. Eustace Scrub, all the children have just perked up. All right, here we go. <laughs> Eustace Scrub was the insufferable cousin of 
Peter and Lucy and Edmund and Susan. He was a real pain. And an odd thing happened to him in this story uh, in Narnia, in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Eustace became a dragon. Could you imagine waking up one morning and becoming a dragon? He was, again, insufferable. He was, he was mean. He was ugly. He, he tore down with his speech. And so he found a dragon's cave, and he found the dragon's hoard of gold. And so he started gathering it up, oh, keeping it for himself. And he fell asleep in there in the dragon's hoard. And sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greedy and dragonish thoughts in his heart, he became a dragon himself. And so for a big part of the story, Eustace was spending his time as a dragon. And oh, did he not like being a dragon. It was miserable to him. He missed his cousins, his friends. He missed being a boy. So one night, Eustace heard a lion's calling to him. And the lion was saying, follow me. And Eustace, the dragon, he was telling his cousin Edmund that he was afraid. He, he knew that he could have eaten the lion because he was a dragon, but nevertheless, he was, a, he was afraid. So he followed the lion, and he was taken to a pool up on a mountain where he wanted to bathe his hurt leg from a piece of gold ring that was entrapped on it. And Aslan told them that before he, he bathed, he must undress first. And so Eustace started scratching and clawing at himself, desperately trying to shed his scales like a snakeskin. And he tried this three times, and he could not get the, light, the, the dragon's skin, the scales, off of him. And finally, the lion told him, you're going to have to let me undress you. And so he tore the skin from Eustace, and he picked him up, and he dropped him in the pool. When the lion did this, Eustace recounted that it felt as though he was cut so deep that it went down to his very heart. And as Eustace was in the pool and he washed himself, he realized that his arm was no longer in pain because he had turned back into a boy. And after a bit, the lion took Eustace out of the pool and he dressed him in new clothes. What was even better, Eustace was now undragoned. He was a boy again. Edmund then looked at Eustace and told him, I think you've seen Aslan, the great lion. So after this episode, Eustace turned from being an insufferable and beastly boy to putting on his new self, being kind and brave and gracious. He was a new creation. So you see, the thing is this. Oftentimes, we're trying to scratch and claw and tear away the old man by ourselves. By trying to be good, by trying to do good works, by trying to just keep ourselves busy. But we can't do it ourselves. 
We need Jesus Christ, the, the Lion of Judah, to undress us. And, and we, don't, we don't let Christ do this to us. We don't just say, okay, do it to me now. Because if you know Him, if you know Christ, if you love Him, if you put your trust in Him, then He's, he's already done it. He did it for you. And so let us do the same. Let us go to strike. Let us go to Christ. And by his strength, let him rip away the old sinful nature and give us a new nature that is like him. When we do these things, when we practice Christian living in the This way, this putting off and putting on so that others may see our good deeds and that they would praise our Father who is in heaven. We do them so that others would look to Christ and would love him and know him. We do these things because God in Christ forgave us and bought us and has called us to glorify him with our lives. And so may God help us to walk with Christ by putting off sin and putting on righteousness. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, we, we said at the beginning and we say again, these things are hard. Living the Christian life is hard. Thank you that you have not left us to do it by ourselves. You've given your spirit to us, the spirit of truth, to enable us, to help us to put off sin, to put on righteousness. Help us, O Lord, to love these things that you've called us to love. Help us to put on these wonderful garments of grace, truth, righteousness, holiness, and to put off the filth, to put off the sin, to give no opportunity for the devil. Strengthen us, we we pray, to live the Christian life. In Christ's name, amen.